Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce cost and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash strange. netsuite.com slash strange. netsuite.com slash strange. I'm Laura Norton, and this is One Strange Thing, the show where we search the nation's news archive for stories that can't quite be explained. And if I sound a little funny today, no, I have not been possessed. I have a cold, but we must bring you your entertainment. Now, on one strange thing, we've covered quite a few close encounters. The alien enthusiasts in our audience, or ufologists if you're nasty, are no doubt aware that such experiences are ranked depending on what kind of experience the hapless human has with an extraterrestrial phenomenon. Whether it be a faraway saucer-like blur in the sky or a huge-eyed alien staring directly into your face, there's a classification for that. Normally, Our tales of the extraterrestrial have focused on men, and, weirdly, on law enforcement, who seem to have a proclivity for getting into roadway chases with UFOs. Of course, there was the Flatwoods monster, who was seen by a woman and some teens, and, which may have been a cryptid or an alien, depending on who you ask, or possibly even an owl. But... That's technically a story for another episode. Our episode, actually, one that already exists, so scroll back a few. Moving on. Over the course of the show, we've brought you what the UFO Handbook, a guide to investigating, evaluating, and reporting UFO sightings, describes as close encounters of the first type. Folks who've sighted UFOs. We've also brought you purported close encounters of the third type, which the guide's author, Alan Hendry, describes as sighting of and direct interaction with alien life forms. Now, Alan Hendry worked with J. Allen Hynek, lots of Allens we know, who actually invented the scale in the first place. Today's story falls somewhere into that elusive middle category, the second type. What's that, you might ask? Well, the Allens of the world are happy to supply you with an answer. Basically, 
a second level close encounter means that one has not only seen a spaceship, one has felt it. That can mean a variety of things. For instance, Hendry's book points out brief physical experiences, like say a vibration or a sudden fleeting sensation. Imagine being caught in a kind of invisible freeze ray that keeps you from moving even an inch. Or imagine a sudden enveloping sense of cold or a blast of heat that fades away. Maybe you suffer an intense headache or nausea or a moment of blindness. But there are some who claim more intense physical effects, burns, paralysis, sickness. And the worst part of this kind of experience is that almost no one will believe you when you try to explain its cause. But sometimes there are a few people who do believe you. But even then, it's not enough. The close encounter of the second kind that we bring you today is known by a few separate monikers. The Chopper Incident, the Cash Landrum Encounter, or even the Cash Landrum Sighting. It took place in Texas, which to the residents of the Southeast at least, could arguably be called the Southwest. The people of Texas may have an issue with that designation. Let it be made clear, we are unwilling to go to war with Texans as they can do things like ride broncos and wrestle rattlesnakes, and they own novelty t-shirts clearly stating that we should not mess with them. Well, friends, message received. All we're getting out here is that if West Virginia is for cryptids, well then, the Southwest is for aliens. The whole region is rife with them. And that includes you, Texas. Please don't email us. Now, let's get to the good stuff. The Cash Landrum encounter occurred, as many of our tales do, on a lonely highway. America's road systems really have a knack for setting up a paranormal atmosphere, don't they? In any case, it was rural Texas in late December of 1980. Three people traveling on a lonely road some ways outside Houston were Betty Cash, her friend Vicki Landrum, and Vicki's seven-year-old grandson Colby, who lived full-time with Vicki. Vicki and Betty were both in their 50s when this incident occurred. According to Florida Today, the three were out on the evening of December 29, 1980, for a night on the town, as much as one could have between Dayton, Texas, and Houston, anyway. They ate dinner at a local diner, but not the one that Vicky worked at full-time. And then they planned to find a local bingo parlor where they might try their luck. But... As Florida Today reported, there was apparently none to be had. Luck, that is, because all the local bingo establishments were closed. We're not sure if it was the time of evening or the fact that it was December 29th, the holiday week, but Becky, Vicky, and Colby were fresh out of entertainment options. So the trio decided to call it a night and head back to Dayton. But the night? Well, it apparently had other plans for them. Betty was driving what the Spokesman Review described as a new Oldsmobile Cutlass. Vicky, of course, rode up front in the passenger seat and Colby sat in the back. They were riding on a stretch of highway between the towns of New Caney and Huffman, 
and about halfway back to Dayton. It should have been a quiet, if boring, drive. But somewhere around what author Robert Schaefer described as an area between a roadside restaurant and a highway sign? Well, the sky opened up in a blaze of light. Florida Today reported that it seemed, at first, that the light might be from a plane, maybe headed for Houston Intercontinental. But no, something was wrong. Any aircraft wouldn't be so bright and so low, blinding them and obliterating everything on the highway. Betty was forced to pull the cutlass over. She couldn't drive in that glare. Was it coming in for a landing? But no, by then a plane would have crashed down into them. According to Florida Today, it was if the car and its occupants were bathed in some kind of fire. But it was a rainy evening. What could have been the source? Betty told the Birmingham Post-Herald that, quote, she thought the world was coming to an end, biblically speaking. She told reporters that when she saw an object in the sky, it looked like a scorching ball of fire. She said, it lit up the sky like it was daylight. That's the first thing that came into our minds, that the world was ending. That thing was so bright, it took us a while to get our sight to where we could see it was an object. I have never been so terrified. All we could think was of how we are going to get out of here without being burned alive. Colby would later tell Florida Today, It was moving, and I said, Grandma, what's this? And she said, I don't know. What did they see before them? At this point in the story, you might be expecting to hear about a saucer, or at the very least, an oblong object, a rocket, something that seemed suited for interspace travel. We don't blame you. It's the kind of thing that we, and yes, a lot of movies, have set you up for. But what happened before Betty, Vicky, and Colby on that lonely Texas highway was something entirely different. Blazing in the sky was not a disc, but what numerous outlets described as a, quote, diamond-shaped object. One that per the Birmingham Post-Herald, quote, was spitting flames toward the ground. Betty recalled that it seemed to be about the size of a county water tower. And then, for some reason, Betty Cash decided to get out of the car. Perhaps she couldn't help herself. Perhaps she felt a spiritual call. Per Florida Today, Becky and Vicky were both religious women, and they had a sense something otherworldly was upon them. Colby later told the paper that Vicky told him, Don't worry, honey. If a man comes out, it'll be Jesus. Vicky got out of the car too, but Colby wasn't having it. The seven-year-old physically dragged his grandmother back inside. Even though, as Florida Today wrote, the Cutlass, quote, heated like a furnace, they remained there, watching as Betty was bathed in the glow. They could see clearly through the windshield, though, and what they saw beyond the shooting flames? The diamond began to ascend. Florida Today reported that when it began to shift toward the tree line, Betty reached for the car door. She was going to follow it, she needed to know where it was going. But when she touched the Cutlass's handle, it was white hot. The Birmingham Post-Herald wrote that Betty was forced to use her, quote, 
leather jacket like a potholder to open it. And somehow, her skin was hot too. All three of them would later claim that her hand was burning with heat so much that they told the paper when she touched the dashboard, it melted the vinyl. There was a little dent left there, one that Betty showed to authorities later on. Florida Today reported that Betty started up the car and followed the path of the shining diamond. This led them to what the paper described as a, quote, cemetery clearing. And when they arrived, they found the diamond-shaped object was not alone in the sky. According to the Miami Herald, Betty, Vicky, and Colby saw at least two dozen military-style helicopters flying around the thing. The helicopters were what some experts later thought best matched the style known as Chinooks, or Boeing CH-47s. These are large, heavy-looking aircraft that are distinctly, well, military-looking in nature. You've seen them in a dozen movies, in the background being loaded and unloaded or setting down to drop supplies. They're not designed for attack, which is a good thing, because, according to the trio, they weren't trying to shoot down the Shining Diamond. On the contrary, they seemed to almost fly in tandem with it. In fact, per the news press, the helicopters appeared to be escorting the object. It moved farther and farther from the road. Now, what we find odd, strangers, is there is a high level of detail concerning every moment of this encounter. Up until this point, there is almost nothing to be found on how the three left the scene. There's a brief mention here or there that they decided to drive away, or a reference to a source about another source that vaguely says the road was now clear so that they could proceed. But the thing is, the road had been cleared. The diamond had floated beyond the tree line. Which was it? Why is that bit of the story such an afterthought? Betty, Vicky, and Colby did seem to know how long they were out on that highway. According to a book by Deputy Director of Administration for the Mutual UFO Network, MUFON, John Schusler, they reported the whole thing only lasted about 20 minutes. Have you ever wondered what it feels like to be attacked by an alligator? Or what goes through one's mind as they're stranded in a snowstorm? What Was That Like is the podcast for you. Real people come on every episode to explain the unbelievable situations they've been through. Guests share how they really felt during their most surreal experiences. They tell us what they did the morning before an earthquake, how it feels to win The Price is Right, and all sorts of details that you'd never learn anywhere else. If you're interested in hearing disturbing and inspiring firsthand stories, What Was That Like is the podcast you've been looking for. Every story is thoroughly researched and fact-checked, so you know that even the most unrealistic are someone's reality. Listen to What Was That Like wherever you get your podcasts. Looking for creepy stories? Then we might have a podcast for you. And now, presenting Rattled and Shook. Rattled and Shook is a weekly podcast that features new scary stories every episode, kind of like this. I would hear her say things to me inside my head. I couldn't get around him. I was trapped. 
the other guy started to get pretty agitated. He grabbed my grandfather's oxygen hose and he cut off his oxygen. Then I started thinking, well, you know, who would be hanging around in this nowhere forest, in this nowhere area? And that's when I started looking more closely. And that's when I noticed there were several shapes. And they were slowly working their way toward me as they were moving from tree to tree. New episodes of Rattled and Shook are out every Thursday. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We can't give you the blow-by-blow details of their trip home, but we can tell you this. Within a few hours of their arrival, things were not good. All three of them were feeling the after-effects. Shock, certainly, but there was more. According to the news press, Becky, Vicky, and Colby were quickly becoming ill. And the only common denominator was their exposure to the brilliant floating diamond in the sky. Per the news press, Betty said, I didn't sleep all night long. I had big knots coming up all over my head and on my face. My eyes were swelling and my ears were swelling. I went on to bed, but I couldn't sleep. I was so sick. I vomited all night long. I was dying of thirst, but I still didn't put it together that it was from that thing. I didn't know what it was. By the second day of January, it was clear that Betty needed to go to the hospital. Vicky and Colby were sick too, but Betty's condition was much more dire. By that time, they had begun to put the pieces together. After all, the three of them had faced that blaze, but only Betty had stood outside the car, staring down at what she thought was Armageddon. According to the news press, they thought that they might better keep their story quiet. They wouldn't say what was wrong with Betty at the hospital, they'd just bring her in. Vicky told reporters, by now her hair was coming out in big old balls, and they had a towel around her head to keep that hair from getting on the bed. What Betty and Vicky both described as nuts had risen up all over their bodies and had begun to burst and seep like blisters. Betty's were much, much worse. Per the Gatesville Messenger and Star Forum, Betty was, quote, hospitalized for 15 days as a burn victim. Of course, the doctors assumed they were dealing with regular burns. But according to Florida Today, the story didn't stay under wraps for long. Eventually, it was seven-year-old Colby who told the doctors what they'd seen. And that, well, it set off what you might imagine, an investigation. Because Betty, Vicky, and Colby didn't just have a story of a floating diamond. They had, as John Schusler would later describe in his reports and book, the symptoms of radiation poisoning. And that is not the kind of thing three people can pick up on the way home from a failed bingo excursion. Now, as we mentioned before, John Schusler was a high up at MUFON, the mutual UFO network. And you might first assume that he was not someone authorities would listen to. But John had an impressive resume. He'd spent many years working at NASA and he took his examination of unexplained phenomena very seriously. Though John investigated the sighting, per the Houston Chronicle, he couldn't find reports of helicopters in the area. 
no matter how many agencies MUFON queried. Obviously, they didn't find reports of UFOs either, but John wasn't dissuaded. He told the Chronicle, little things convinced me how real this was and how much trauma it had caused. He recalled a time that Colby had come to visit him at Space Center Houston and was terrified by the sight of a helicopter. Eventually, John would become an expert on the Cash Landrum encounter. He couldn't say what precisely the three had seen, but he firmly believed they encountered something out there on that road. Because, as he pointed out to reporters, the proof was in the suffering of Betty, Vicky, and Colby. Official sources couldn't turn up much either. The Gatesville Messenger and Star Forum interviewed a former police officer from Houston Police Department's Helicopter Division, which is not something we knew existed until researching this story. Anyway, the officer, Kevin DeFore, told reporters that we received several calls in Houston as to whether or not we had helicopters up that night because 23 helicopters were seen escorting a UFO over Dayton. We did not have any helicopters in the air that night. So, was there a total lack of evidence to back up the trio's claims? Well, maybe not. An Unsolved Mysteries episode on the incident claimed that, quote, there was a spot on the road that indicated that it had been heated to an extreme level of heating. It was burned, and it was very clear to the naked eye. Or so the show said. But Skeptical Magazine was quick to note that no photographic proof of those burn marks have been provided. Actually, Skeptical Magazine provided a number of points to back up the theory that the entire experience was not an encounter with a UFO. In the view of Skeptical Magazine, the Cash Landrum incident was more complex and perhaps even a little more sinister. Author Robert Schaefer pointed out that Betty Cash and investigators aligned with her, like John Schusler, refused to release her medical records to the public. This, in some skeptics' minds, represents a serious issue in that those records might show a diagnosis of Munchausen syndrome, meaning that Betty had intentionally been making herself ill. In his Skeptical Magazine article, Schaefer cited an email exchange he had with a medical doctor who observed Betty Cash's injuries on a television program and found them odd. The doctor wrote, quote, April 1st, 1982, edition of ABC TV's That's Incredible. Betty's arms with discreet round sunburn-type rashes that immediately caused me to suspect that she had created them by covering her arms with a garment containing circular cutouts and then exposing herself to sunlight or a sun lamp. And why would Betty do something like that? Well, the argument made by some disbelievers there is pretty simple. According to some, it came down to money. The UPI reported that, due to their ongoing medical problems and a lack of answers, the trio eventually filed, quote, a $20 million suit against the federal government, which the women claimed was negligent for letting the alleged experimental device fly over a public road. You'll note they don't specify that it was a UFO, but then again, they never claimed that what they saw was alien. 
They simply said it was unknown and, to them, unexplainable and surrounded by very recognizable military helicopters. To Betty, Vicky, and Colby, there was a clear line to be drawn. Someone was responsible for their pain. The U.S. government was less convinced. Per the UPI, then-assistant U.S. attorney Frank Conforti complained, they didn't say this UFO was owned or controlled by the United States. You can't hold the government liable for actions it doesn't control. According to UPI reports, Betty, who was living in Alabama by the time the suit made it before a judge for consideration of a trial date, might have been too sick to travel. But she never had to decide. Florida Today reported that the suit was thrown out. It was one of the few UFO cases to ever make it as far as it had. So, strangers, did these three make it all up for a chance at $20 million that never materialized? You might be able to dismiss the event that way, except for one strange thing. Betty, Vicky, and Colby weren't the only ones to see a UFO that night. Remember that officer from Houston's helicopter division, Kindafor? Well, he eventually became chief of police in Dayton, the Cash and Landrum family's hometown. And according to him, others in town had seen the craft too. And not just anyone, police officers. He told the paper, one of the officers who spotted this UFO was still on the force, so we talked extensively about the sighting. And that's not all. Florida Today's Billy Cox followed the story closely for years. He was interested in John Schusler's involvement in the case. According to Billy, John, quote, did thorough work, and he was able to locate at least four other witnesses, including a cop who'd seen the choppers that same night, as well as their military markings. So, we have both UFO sightings and chopper sightings reported the same night as Betty, Vicky, and Colby claimed, with some of those witnesses holding official positions in the community. Those witnesses certainly didn't have anything to gain from the Cash Landrum lawsuit. Not that we can see at least, it wouldn't come for years after the witnesses reported their sightings. Then again, suggestion can be a powerful thing. But we keep returning to Betty. She was the one who stood outside her car. And though she lived for another 19 years after that December night, she was sick the entire time. According to Florida Today, she battled several ailments, including breast cancer. But as a MUFON press release marking her passing read, quote, she was devoted to family and friends and never allowed her illness to prevent her from helping others to cope with the trauma of UFO encounters. Of Betty, unofficial investigator John Schusler told the Houston Chronicle, Never a year passed that she wasn't hospitalized or treated for complications arising from that initial extensive radiation exposure. Many times, she was placed in a hospital intensive care unit. Ultimately, as John Schusler said to the Chattanooga Free Press, we don't know what it was. We went to every government installation around. We talked to every major agency in the government. No one would claim it 
and no one would claim the helicopters. They would just pretend like it didn't happen. I keep hoping it's some kind of a secret government device and someday we'll find out. But if you look at the technology in 1980, <laughs> we couldn't fly anything like that. I would be totally happy with a terrestrial explanation for this. Or I would be happy with an extraterrestrial explanation. I would like to see an answer, though. So would we, Mr. Director. So would we. We can't say for sure what happened on that road. But it's hard for us to imagine that tricks done with a sun lamp could have made Betty so sick for so long. Maybe they didn't encounter a UFO. But there are other wonders, aren't there? Other secrets, unexplained to us, the regular people, that exist here on Earth. And perhaps those are even better kept. We hope you'll join us next time for another real-life story from the fine print of America's local papers, from the lives of regular people, just like you and me, except for one strange thing. Oh, and strangers. One Strange Thing is an independently produced podcast. To support the show and to hear more of the entirely true and enticingly peculiar, join us over on Patreon. There you'll get ad-free early releases of our regular episodes, full-length bonus episodes, blogs, fun giveaways, and occasional live streams, all for $5 a month. We hope you'll check it out. There's a link in our show notes. Thank you.